Bible reading today is from Mark 1, verses 29 to 39. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. And you can find that on the church Bibles in front of you um, on page 1002. 1002. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I love it when you preach. Sorry, I love it when you read, Pip. Always so well read. Morning, everyone. My name is Nathan. If we haven't met, let's pray as we get stuck into God's word together. Almighty Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is ever-present with us. May we be people who are ever-present to you, especially now as we meditate on your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just over 12 months ago, I think I came to what was probably the lowest point in my ministry out of 12 years of ministry. It was December 2021, the, the lockdowns had finally lifted, you might remember what that season was like. Uh, at one level, it was a big relief for me, you know, the, the pressure of pulling off online church had finally finished. Uh, but as things started to return to normal, thoughts shifted to the, what next? What now? And uh, that kind of paralyzed me. Instead of excitement at kicking things off again, uh, there was a mix of fear and, and doubt and actually just most of all exhaustion and, and not just physical exhaustion, uh, but there was emotional and spiritual exhaustion. I remember staring down the barrel of, of having to start the new year and thinking, I don't know if I can do this. Now, I never got to the point of actually saying that to Bruce. Don't know what he would have said if I did. But I, I did say it to my wife one day while we were walking along Shelley Beach. And I remember turning to her and saying, I'm not doing so good. Now, those were very rare words to be coming out of my mouth. And yet, Belle wasn't surprised at all. Yeah, I've noticed, she said. And then in what I can only describe as a God moment for the both of us, she said something to me that she'd never said before. 
And the moment that she said it, it started me down a path that would completely change the next 14 months for me. And I promise I will tell you what it is that she said. We'll come back to it. You have to wait, Karen. But looking back at that point in my life, I can see that something had been amiss in my soul. That there'd been a malfunction at the cellular level. If you uh, missed the first two weeks in our series, uh, it'd be worth tracking that down and, and having a listen to them because they really do form a bit of a foundation for everything else that's going to come through this series this term. Uh, the first week we looked at love. If you were here, you might remember that. Why loving God really is so fundamental. And then last week we explored the heart and the power of our habits in informing our deepest desires. So if you missed either of those two, track them down. Either we, we podcast the audio every week, um, and we also we leave the sermon or the service actually up on YouTube so you can actually watch it as well. Uh, that would be a good thing to do. question for us today really is, what does Jesus mean when he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul? What is it that he's referring to? Like, what even is a soul? I wonder if you've ever asked that question before. That question is a fairly thorny, philosophical one that has been asked by people for thousands of years. And one of the reasons that makes it difficult to really nail down what we mean when we talk about soul is the fact that the Bible, when it uses the word soul, actually uses it in lots of different ways. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, nefesh, uh, which literally means breath, and it gets used in the Old Testament over 750 times. It's a common word. And it can simply refer to someone's life, or more broadly to, to kind of all of life, or more narrowly just talking about someone's passions and emotions. But because of its connection to breath, in fact, it's the word that's used at the start of Genesis when God breathes life into Adam. Because of its connection to breath, uh, the soul is most commonly kind of used almost interchangeably with spirit. So for today, we're going to talk about the soul as that hidden inner part of ourselves that is distinct from our physical body. It's the, the deep part of the self, as one commentator puts it. The deep part of the self. It's interesting when you think about it, we pay a fair amount of attention to our bodies, don't we? When we get hungry, we eat. When we get thirsty, we drink. When we get tired, we sleep. When we get sick, we see a doctor. We worry about what it is we wear. We take a look at ourselves in the mirror and we wonder whether our hair could do with another cut. Believe it or not, that is still a concern of mine. It seems like we pay a lot of attention to our bodies, not so much perhaps to our souls, to our inner selves. I mean, how much attention do you really give to what's going on under your surface? And I think part of that is just because it's, it's kind of less obvious, right? There's no mirror for our souls that we can stand in front of in the morning. That part of us kind of remains hidden. From the world, it remains hidden. 
So most people, you know, back in December 2021 wouldn't have known what was going on within me, for instance. But it's not just hidden from the world, it can also be hidden from ourselves. Or maybe not so much hidden, but drowned out. Drowned out. See, the plain truth of it is this, we live in a noisy world, don't we? The noise of work, the relentless onslaught of people's demands and expectations and pressures. Workplaces are noisy, aren't they? And the same goes for our homes. There's always things to get done or to fix or to clean or to rearrange. I mean, add to that my three boys and the noise grows exponentially. Two of, two of my boys are still learning that there's such a thing as an inside voice. <laughs> We're getting there, slowly. But then I've got this fourth child, and that fits, fits neatly in my pocket. And in fact, this kid seems to be loudest of all, all day calling out to me, demanding to be checked on. Work, home, friends, family, news, media, telemarketers, YouTube, social media, advertising, streaming services, smartphones. Like, that's a lot of noise, isn't it? It's a, no it's a lot of noise. We live in a cacophony and get this, all of that is just on the outside. It's just on the outside. If you were to take one of those decibel meters that measures the volume of, of noise and you could somehow put it inside my head, you would realize that there is just as much noise going on in here as there is out there. Racing thoughts, second-guessing my decisions, over-analyzing tricky conversations, trying to predict someone's response, trying to work out what someone's behavior means, what their motivations might be. And then there's all this sort of ambient anxiety sometimes that I don't even know where it's come from. It's just there. And, and most of all of this is really just being fueled by the worries and fears of a fragile ego. Is that just me? Or does it resonate with you in some way as well? I mean, it's a lot of noise, isn't it? Inside and out. Some of that is, is unavoidable, right? It's just a... a a product of living in a noisy world, but plenty of it is self-inflicted. And the truth is, when the volume gets too high, then the noise of our world and the noise in our heads can very easily drown out the one thing that matters the most. Remember how Jesus put it? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your inner being. I read an interesting quote this week by a New York Times journalist who was reflecting on the impact of our digital world and he said this, the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is, is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. White noise, distraction. 
It's funny because it doesn't feel like that should pose much of a threat, and yet it does. And not just for the unbeliever, but for the believer as well. John Ortberg, who's a pastor in the US, he puts it like this. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. See, noise, when it's left unchecked, it can end up drowning out your soul. It it stunts our inner selves and it distracts us from what's really happening underneath the surface at the cellular level, right? The deepest part of ourselves. And so the first question for us this morning is, do you know what's going on down there for you? It might surprise you to learn this is not just a modern problem. I mean, you know, iPhones and the internet, they certainly haven't helped things, but even Jesus had to wrestle with distraction. In the passage that we read today, I hope you've still got it open in front of you. We're going to have a closer look at it now. That's actually precisely the kind of threat that Jesus is facing. Just to give you a little context, this is at the very start of Jesus' ministry, and things are finally now taking off. His reputation is growing. He's getting more popular. So much so, he rolls into a town, does a single healing miracle, and then that night, the house he's staying in gets swamped by every man and his dog. Verse 33, take a look, it says, the whole town gathered at the door. That seems like a pretty good outcome, right? Exactly what he was after. And yet, instead of popping the champagne, we're told in verse 35, read it with me, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then he returns, and he tells his disciples they need to pack up and leave. We're moving on. And the disciples are like, are you kidding? Like, everyone's looking for you. Isn't this what you wanted? The answer is it's not, actually. You see, being a traveling physician would have been great, but it actually, actually wasn't the main reason why Jesus had come. He'd come to preach. He'd come to announce the coming of the kingdom and to call people to repent and to ready themselves. And, and the heaving crowds who were gathering at his door, chasing a miracle, that actually become a distraction to his main mission. So even Jesus faced the danger of distraction. And, and what do we see his solution is? Well, he withdraws from the noise in order to draw near to God. He turns the volume down on the world so he could turn the volume up on his soul. He sought intimacy with his father through the, through the practices we see here of silence, solitude, and prayer. And that's, I don't know, that's really interesting, isn't it? And in fact, the start of Mark's gospel here, that's just not a one-off. But in fact, Jesus gets into a regular pattern of, of doing this, withdrawing, sometimes on his own, sometimes with his disciples. And it goes throughout his whole ministry. In fact, nine times in Luke's gospel, it records 
this practice, Jesus withdrawing to a quiet place. And even more interestingly, it often coincides with real pivotal points in his ministry. So, for instance, immediately following his baptism, we're told that he goes into the desert for 40 days. Or the day when a crowd tries to make him king, forcibly make him king, instead of letting them, he retreats to a mountain. Well, then, of course, the night when he's facing the prospect of his impending crucifixion, what does he do? He spends his final hours alive in the stillness of Gethsemane. And why does he do that? Well, he says, because my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed. In other words, he needed time alone with his father in order to tend to his soul, in order to to stay on track with his mission. I mean, think about that for a moment. If even Jesus found himself endangered by distraction, how much more must that be the case for you and I? And you know, in a very real sense, distractions might not just be a, a simple... Uh, as simple as as an incidental byproduct of life in a busy world, actually, they can be used as weapons by the evil one. So Richard Foster, who was writing on this stuff back in the 70s, he, he famously put it like this, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, he says, noise, hurry, and crowds. Noise, hurry, if he can keep us involved in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Muchness and manyness. I mean, in our passage this morning, wouldn't that just be right up Satan's alley? Trying to use something good, healing the sick. I mean, that is good, isn't it? Using this good thing to try to derail and distract Jesus from the something greater from why he'd really come, in order to preach the kingdom. And you know, that's also true for us, with a lot of the noise that we're going to be dealing with in our daily lives, right? Whether it's work, or family, or friends, these are good things, good things, worthy of our attention, worthy of our best effort, and yet, not at the expense of the greater thing, our love of God. Take a moment just to honestly ask yourself, how loud is my life? How loud is my life? How much noise and distraction has there been lately? What are the noises inside? What are the noises outside that have actually been pulling my attention away, drowning out the one thing that matters the most? My love of God. Another way of asking that question is, how loud is God in my life? Is his volume up or is he being drowned out by all the other noise? Drowned out is a pretty good way to describe the state my soul was in as I was walking along Shelley Beach those 14 months ago. Drowned out. I'm not doing so good. Set the bell.
Yeah, I've noticed, she replied. Here's what she said next. I think you need to get away for a few days. As I said before, it had to be a gob moment because she had never made a suggestion like that to me before. Nor had I ever entertained the thought of doing such a thing. And yet the exact moment she said it to me, I immediately knew that was exactly what I needed to do. I'd allowed myself to become profoundly distracted. Most of it was my own swirling thoughts and fears, trying to process what had happened during the pandemic, doubting my abilities to be able to restart everything, thinking about all the expectations I was trying to meet, all the responsibilities I was trying to juggle, really obsessing in many ways over muchness and manyness. And as a result, you know what had happened to me? Really what I think had happened is my view of God had shrunk and, and my view of myself had actually ballooned which is not to say I was, I was being overconfident and proud, but rather I was feeling and behaving and thinking as if everything was resting on my shoulders rather than God's. See, in all the noise and distraction of that season, I'd actually lost sight of God's bigness, lost sight of it, and it was casting this long shadow over my soul. But praise be to God my wife and her words and for Bruce who gave me those days off. I ended up renting an Airbnb just up in Bayview and uh, I spent 36 hours in silence, solitude and prayer. And, you know, there was nothing really mystical about it. I, I put my devices away. I turned the notifications off. I told those people who might be contacting me, please don't. I'm going to be uncontactable. I covered up all the clocks in this room that I was staying in so I didn't know what the time was, which was massive for me because I, I, I run by the clock each and every day. I just didn't want to know what the time was. It didn't matter. I, I picked a book in the Bible and I was like, I'm going to just read through this book and if I get to the end, I'm going to start it again. I had a journal where I could write down any thoughts that came to me. I wrote down some prayers and then I actually continued to pray through those prayers throughout the, the couple of days I was away. I was in Bayview, which of course is right near the water. So I took some, some, some amazing walks by the water as I tried to memorize some scripture. I spent time just sitting by the water in silence, attending to the moment, right? Being present in the moment and meditating just on that truth of who God was and who I was. And none of it was scheduled, none of it was planned, there was no to-do list, there was no agenda, no goal setting, it was just, I'm going to go from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other, however long each of those takes, doesn't matter. And I just spent that time being, just being alone with God. And I've got to tell you, it was, it was wonderful, it, it was magnificent, in fact, it was the most spiritually rich time I think I've ever had with God, which is kind of funny when you think about the place that I've gotten to, right, the lowest point in my ministry that I've ever been in, 
And all of a sudden, I was in spiritual richness. Quite the contrast, right? And yet, that's often how God works. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the path to his table of plenty often runs through the darkest of valleys, doesn't it? You talk to Bruce or to Bell, they will tell you just how different I was coming back from those few days away. The difference that it made to my soul. It prompted me to, to get some much needed counseling. I found myself a ministry coach. I began intentionally trying to work some new practices into my daily habits. But most of all, I actually just came back excited about starting up the ministry again. My worries and fears had actually been replaced by a renewed trust in God's sovereignty. Like, I remember at one point, just while I was away, realizing, you know, wow, God, God's not worried about what's happened, and he's not worried about what's ahead, so <laughs> what am I doing being worried? Why am I worrying if he's not worried? I mean, that's a very simple truth to realize, right? It's not rocket science. But it actually took me withdrawing, withdrawing from the noise in order to come to that place and let my soul soak in that truth. I'm not sure it would have happened if I hadn't have done that. And you know, it's not all or nothing. You might actually not be in a place where you can get away like I did. I know some of the parents here are thinking, best sermon application ever. <laughs> but I know that might seem impossible for some of us to be able to do. But wouldn't it be amazing if, if as the body of Christ, we were able to help get rid of some of those barriers for people? So those of us who own holiday homes, making them available for those who don't. What a great way to steward that resource. Or maybe offering to mine someone's children for the weekend. Or if you're, if you're good at saving money for a holiday, why not also start saving some money for that time of retreat? Or if you're married, encouraging your spouse to go and do that even though it's going to mean life gets a little busier for you. And, you know, even if we don't retreat, we really should be pursuing pockets of, of silence and solitude and prayer just in our daily lives. For instance, I've found writing down my prayers to be super helpful, super helpful for just focusing and dwelling more on what I'm praying, actually making it concrete writing it down, and then, of course, you can come back the next week or the next month and look back at how God has been at work through your prayers. Maybe we need to take an honest look at our prayer lives. What shape is it in? You know, I said earlier, we don't really have a mirror for the soul, and yet how you pray when you're on your own might be about as close as it gets. Tim Keller writes this, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by trouble circumstances. But those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father 
will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. How is your prayer life? You could uh, try designating a room or a corner in your home if you don't have quite as much space as like the solitude spot. I've actually got a spot out by the wharf. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but that's my solitude spot. And, you know, you make it the kind of tech-free zone. There's no tech allowed in that place. And everyone in the family knows that is where to go when you need to be alone. Or I've gotten the habit of just starting my time in the Word each day by being silent for a few minutes. I've actually gone and written on the top of my journal that I use on every page to come, the word silence in capital letters, so I don't forget. And it's, it's a small thing, really small thing. And yet, I've noticed that just a minute or two of silence allows my thoughts to slow down, my body to relax, and it reminds my soul I'm not just ticking off a box here. I'm actually drawing near to someone. Before we finish, I actually wanted us to give us all a chance to be silent now, to actually have a go at practicing silence. Take it as an opportunity to, to put your fourth child away, to clear your mind. You could close your eyes, slow your breathing, Try centering your focus on who God is and who you are in Him. And then, what is it that God's been impressing on your heart today? How loud is your life? What state is your soul in? So let's be silent now, see how it feels, and I'll be back in two minutes. Psalm 46 says, Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. May it be so, Lord. Amen. I wonder how that felt for you. A little weird? Certainly a strange thing to do in the middle of a sermon, right? To just stop talking. I wonder if you found two minutes to be long, to be short. Hopefully, it actually just shows you just how rare it is for us to have moments of silence. Hopefully, you enjoyed it at some level. I want to try to get more of that time alone with God. But friends, as I said last week, uh, in our first week together, sorry, that the Christian life isn't a list of rituals to perform. It's not a, a hobby to hone. It's not a club to join, right? It's, it's a relationship. I remember hearing a preacher say something that has really struck with me ever since. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm not a natural evangelist. I don't like evangelism very much, but I love God. I love Jesus. And, and so I just can't help but talk about him to others. I'm not a fan of reading, I find it kind of boring, but I read the Bible because I love Jesus, so I want to listen to him, and I don't like prayer. I'm not much of a praying person, but I love Jesus, and so I speak to him. Friends, we don't set aside time for God in our busy schedules out of a sense of duty, or fear, or guilt. We don't do it because it's on our to-do list for the day. We don't do it because some guy up the front here told you to. We do it because we're in a relationship, right? And when we withdraw from the noise, whether it's just 10 minutes, or an hour, or a few days, when we come to him in the stillness, we get him. We get him. Friends, if you love him, what more could you want than that? Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful that you are a God who is present, ever present with us. And yet we confess those times where we are not present with you. When we give in to the noise and distraction of the world and it pulls our attention away from you, Lord God, we pray that you might use messages like this this morning, messages like we'll hear throughout the rest of this series too, to wake us up, to draw us back to you, and to help us put in place spiritual practices that, that drive our love for you deeper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends got a couple of songs to finish our time together today. I will boast in Christ. We're about to sing, I will cling to Christ my hope. Let us do that this week as we join together now in song. Please stand and sing.